Greetings and welcome to this episode of The Deal Flow Show. I'm J.P. Maroney, your host, along with Paul Nicolini, my co-host here at The Deal Flow Show in Harbor City Capital. Today we've got Matt Pluster from Bridgepoint Investment Banking, and it's good to have you on the show. Um, Paul and Daniel had talked a little bit about you and your background, eager to find out how you got started, and that's kind of where I want to lead off, is find out how you got started in the investment banking or the capital markets, and then... We have obviously some questions that we'd like to ask you about your deal flow process and things that you're working on today. But maybe take us back a little bit and talk about how you got started in the business. Yeah, appreciate it. It's uh, it's been a long and uh, and winding road. But I started uh, my career on uh, Wall Street 20 years ago. Uh, typical analyst one uh, started at at Deutsche Bank, uh, which was the second biggest bank in the world at the time. And I often tell the story that. Your priorities at uh, at 20 years old are quite different than your priorities at 40, and I'm sure you know later in life as well. But basically, went into investment banking because it's the it's the one thing 20 years ago you could you know make a hundred thousand dollars right out of college at, and I didn't really even know what it was, but I knew that that sounded exciting, and uh, was kind of the one percenter job right back then as well. If you were kind of top of your class from a top 10 school, that's kind of what you aspired to do. Maybe maybe now that's Silicon Valley or something, but but back then that was the case, and I was a high achieving, over eager uh, kid, and so that's that's how I got into uh, investment banking. Not really with grand designs on, hey, I want to be a capital markets professional for the next 40 years. Uh, turns out I really enjoy it. Uh, it's dynamic work good at it. And uh, most importantly, think that um, it gives me real purpose and our firm real purpose every day to get up and do the work that we do. And so got into it purely because of the money. Um, that's not why I get up today and go to work and build Bridgepoint. But uh, that's the beginning of the story. Spent the first 10 years of my uh, career gentleman at, at uh, Deutsche Bank and then at Morgan Stanley. Uh, doing large bulge bracket uh, transactions. I'm a uh, a yokel from a town of three or four hundred people in Nebraska, and so working on Wall Street Journal stuff every day was a great experience and a great uh, training ground. And certainly have utilized that experience uh, today at Bridgepoint down market to do what we think is even more important uh, work and for uh, even a, a higher calling. So was it everything you thought? I mean, I know you went in. You said for the. It was uh, for, the for, for the money. Hey, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Uh, by the way, you said Silicon Valley. It's funny because uh, obviously Elon Musk has moved to uh, Texas. to Texas now. And I yeah. saw that Larry Ellison, uh, uh, Oracle's moving their headquarters, or has moved their headquarters to Austin. So yep. we may have to be saying Texas Silicon Valley. Oil here. Valley? Yeah, oil, <laughs> yeah. Oil, Silicon Oil Valley. There we go. Here in the Midwest, we call it the Silicon Prairie. Prairie. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I think, I think it was all that I thought it would be. I think the asterisk, though, that I missed was the, if you, do, if you did the hourly wage, the, you know, the, it didn't work out that well, right? Because you were working, we were working 100 plus yeah. hours. And certainly this, yeah. is, uh, this is back in the days where uh, the, uh, the hours were probably even more intense than they are today. But, you know, uh, the rear view mirror, everything looks fun. I, I look back fondly on the experience, a lot of great relationships. Uh, most importantly, you know, uh, investment banking and the capital markets really an, are an apprentice industry, right? You learn to do deals by doing deals right. and and you also learn what how not to do deals, right? Or what you don't want to do as well. And so uh, while the experience was challenging, I, I look back on it very fondly, very thankful for the opportunity. 
And, uh, but it was certainly, certainly an intense experience. Uh, I think I've said this on another podcast maybe, but I averaged 114 hours in the office my first year at a bulge bracket investment bank, which is all of the hours, uh, if you, if you've done that. And, uh, and so I, you know, I think the, the younger guys at our firm now kind of roll their eyes when we start telling war stories about how, how hard we worked, right? Like we did with all, all did with our parents, but great experience. I'm very thankful for it. I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. I was going to say the hours aside, that's probably one of the better places to start because you're getting such a different perspective of it. Well, and you said, you mentioned the relationships. Were there any, uh, if you think back, were there any role models, deal makers in that business early on that you were like, man, that's, that's someone I need to attach myself and learn from? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And I would say that that went both ways, right? People that uh, you admired and you admired how they went about their business, whether it was skill set or more importantly, ethics, right? Integrity. But I think we also, uh, Natasha's my wife. She's our COO as well. So we're a husband, wife, uh, leadership team and ownership team. Uh, but I think you also learn a lot about how you don't want to do things right from right. seeing, seeing people and how they operate. But I, I had a, the first mentor I had, uh, turned out to be a very senior and accomplished banker. Um, and he was brilliant, but more importantly, uh, he was a very high integrity gentleman and just seeing how he operated, right. A young guy out of college where, you know, in a, in a really kind of money first focused world, really always aspired to be like him. He was kind of always the guy that people really looked up to, not just because he was really smart, but also because he was uh, of an unquestionable integrity and driven by the right, driven by the right things. Um, and I also think he's one of those guys that kind of just got the joke, right? I mean, I think some investment bankers think they're the most important person in the world. And uh, certainly the work we do is very dynamic and important, but he also was a, was a real person and a good person. And that, that said a lot to me as a 22-year-old coming out of college, right? There were certainly uh, other successful bankers who made a lot of money and got a lot of big deals done. But uh, the, his ethics and integrity were something that have really stuck with me. We, re- we maintain a relationship. To this day, I actually did a, a podcast maybe a year ago, and I referenced him as well, and it was neat. I texted him after and said, hey, forward to the 920 mark. That's you I'm talking about. So I, I won't name him because there's lots of certainly good friends and, and mentors that I've had along the way, but uh, he's always stuck out in my mind, mostly because of integrity, how he carried himself, and, and uh, always did the right thing, even in tough situations, which you don't always see, particularly in, on deals, right, with big dollar signs uh, in front of him. And then I would say uh, on the flip side, you know, there were certainly people who uh, were effective, but uh, cut corners. And I think we learned a lot about who we wanted to be, what we wanted Bridgepoint to be, also from people that we saw doing it in a way that we thought could be done better and with a, a different level of core values. And so, I, you know, your experiences really inform you and they certainly have informed us on how we want to carry ourselves, how we want to define our culture and our company. And quite frankly, we're a big part of why we founded Bridgepoint 10, 11 years ago now. Well, tell us a little bit more about Bridgepoint, uh, the size of the company and, and what kind of deals you guys get involved in, if you would. Yeah, sure. So Bridgepoint Investment Banking is a uh, middle market boutique investment bank, uh, founded the firm 11 years ago, I guess now. A true entrepreneurial story. I had mentioned that I had started my career at Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank was uh, 82000 bankers at the time. Uh, my wife and I, we also, we, we met working at Deutsche Bank. She was a Deutsche banker as well, and then worked at a private equity firm in Chicago. 
Uh, we moved back to Nebraska, a very non-investment bank, non-private equity place, uh, 11 years ago. And uh, we, even though we're bankers and do deals, this is our own very humble entrepreneurial story and deal. And uh, we've got nice, nice offices now and, and nice things. But I, <clears throat> we had an analyst down last month for dinner with his wife and I said, here, jump in the car. I want to go show you the first Bridgepoint office. And it was, uh, it was the right garage door on our first house. And uh, I often joke that I, you know, went from an 82,000 person, you know, number two bank in the world to a home office that was in a garage about 10 feet from the trash cans. And so uh, true entrepreneurial story, uh, you know, we weren't trust fund babies, didn't have a big pile of cash other than kind of what we'd made on, on Wall Street and reinvested that in uh, building our own firm that we thought was needed uh, in a place that we thought it was needed for people that we thought needed the service. Um, and so really just started in home office, two guys, uh, fast forward to today, we've been uh, very fortunate and blessed. We're 20 to 25, uh, bankers and people, uh, working mostly out of the Midwest, uh, head headquartered in Lincoln and Omaha, Nebraska, uh, recently started an office in Denver, uh, have an office in Des Moines, have an office in Chicago, spend a lot of time in that market. But even though we're in the Midwest, uh, in those markets, it's truly a national practice, uh, even do a fair amount of cross-border work, really focused uh, on on providing full-service investment banking, which we don't really see done well at this end of the market. Uh, we see it done really well by all the big banks that we used to work at on Wall Street, right? If you're a big sponsor-owned company or uh, publicly-owned company, publicly-traded company, you've got access to all those capital structure solutions and capital market solutions. Really, as you come down market, we saw kind of brokers and, you know, hey, let me know when you want me to put you on your website and sell you, but really not the, not the suite of solutions across the capital structure and capital markets that, you know, if our dad owned a hundred million dollar company or a $50 million company, the options that we would want them to have available to them. And so really, really set up the firm because we thought there was a real need at that end of the market for those same solutions. And uh, we built it through close a deal, hire another good banker, do the right thing. People come back to you. Uh, not really sexy stuff, but really important stuff around core values, around integrity, uh, honesty, tenacity. Um, and so that's, that's been really fun. Some of those characteristics, unfortunately, in our industry are defining characteristics. Um, and there are a lot of good people in investment banking that have kind of come, particularly the last two or three years, to our platform because they want to do important work. They want to stay in the capital markets and investment banking but they want to do it with integrity. They want to do it with other people they believe in that are driven by the right things as well. And so uh, Bridgepoint is, uh, it's a long way of saying uh, boutique investment bank, uh, really focused on both capital raising throughout the capital structure as well as M&A work. And we mean that we're at least 50%, if not more at any given time on the capital market side of the business. Um, and uh, 20 bankers, really spend all of our time on, on deals of call it 20 to 200, $250 million. I think last year our average transaction was somewhere between 50 and $60 million. And so really a lot in the 20 to $100 million space. Um, those, are, those are folks that we don't find get service obviously from our old employers and that we can really move the needle for in our solutions and the service that we can provide and, you know, fast forward 20 years in our career, it's really, that is really what it's about for us is what do we get up in the morning to do? Who do we get up in the morning to help? And that's been a lot of fun. Quite frankly, it's been more fun than doing, you know, $5 billion on average deals where you got 50 bankers and 
you know, if you fell over dead, there'd be another guy in your chair in about 20 minutes, right? These are, these are much more kind of one shot at goal family stories. And uh, that's really exciting. And we think we can make a real difference for folks. I was going to ask, is this all, is this both private and, and, and public transactions? It is. It's mostly private company transactions. We've got a couple public company clients. We find generally that public companies have access to good advice and capital market solutions. Um, so mostly, mostly our focus is on private companies, on founder, uh, entrepreneur, uh, family-owned companies versus sponsor-owned companies. Uh, we think it's important not to be conflicted. So we generally work for non-sponsor companies um, and like to beat up sponsors and the, the folks in New York and Chicago with the big checkbooks for, on behalf of real companies and real entrepreneurial stories. You mentioned you felt like it was an underserved area of the market. What do you think it is that sets y'all apart in terms of how you approach what you do? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the, the, first, uh, the first thing is really the full suite of solutions. And so if a corporate attorney calls us and says, hey, you know, Matt Bridgepoint, we've got this $50 million company that wants to sell. We take a lot of pride in not just educating them on what the sell side process looks like. Of course we do that, right? That's what good bankers do. We also take a lot of pride in backing up and saying, okay, are you saying you actually want to sell? Or, and by the way, did you know about these other options for liquidity, monetization, as well as growth, et cetera? Um, so really bringing together, bringing to bear the full suite of solutions for company owners and for boards and management teams, and not just, hey, you know, let us tell you why, why your company is worth another half turn of EBITDA and why we've got more tombstones, right? For us, that's fairly commoditized work. We're big on education and bringing to bear solutions to private companies that they probably didn't know exist, right? Existed before. Most private companies have kind of a commercial banking relationship, right? The bank tells them how much money they can get at 4%. And oh, by the way, someday they're going to push the red button and sell their company. We think it's really exciting to educate and bring to bear solutions on the in-between as well that can move the needle on growth, access to capital, and access to liquidity, maybe without having to give somebody else the keys to your you know, third generation family company. So I think that's the, the biggest thing is really just with purpose. It's not just on our website because most investment bank websites say they do all those things where, where really most boutique investment banks really just sell companies. For us, that's maybe 25 to 50% of our work. We are very intentional about, we don't let our process drive what the outcome should be. We let companies and owners and their priorities and needs and wants drive what the solutions should be. We can bring to bear all those transactions and we love showing them at the outset what those transactions look like, what's available, what it would mean for them. And so it's very solution-based selling versus, you know, I'm the best trained chimpanzee with the best train, uh, the best sell side process. Something that I've often thought about and when people have as many transactions as y'all do in a given year and then over a period of time is is there a way to capture the combined knowledge of all of those years when you have founders exiting like that? Do y'all do anything? I've asked this of other bankers and people involved in the process and private equity and things like that. Is, is there any kind of a process y'all have created or are you doing anything to capture that knowledge and the years of experience or to leverage it with other companies that you're involved with? perhaps advisory or board seats or whatever. Um, yeah, it's kind of an open-ended question, but it's something that I've often wondered about. It just seems like latent opportunity and missed opportunity that's left there. 
Absolutely. I agree. I agree with you. I think in, a, you know, an in investment banking of capital markets, it's kind of, you know, people that truly do sell side work, they basically get paid to fire their clients, right? Get a deal done and, you know, send me a note from the beach or the golf course, right? Um, I think that is part of the beauty of the full service business, right? So we're not just selling companies. In fact, a lot of our clients really become, we've become a part of their business. So I'll give you an example. We, um, over the last three or four years, there's an IT services company, a nice company, 50 to $100 million. They came to us, I want to say six, maybe six years ago, and it was a true entrepreneurial story. Hey, I need, need a new banking relationship. You know, my hair's on fire. I need to make payroll, right? So we started with just a, a commercial banking uh, deal. Uh, the owner then said, hey, I, this is my life's work. I don't want to sell it, but I have, you know, I'm like most owners. I don't have any personal liquidity. I've got this thing, this gray thing that's a liquid on my PFS that really I can't invest, right? And it could go to nothing overnight. Uh, we did a dividend recap for them and also brought in some growth capital uh, to allow them to keep their company and achieve liquidity. We then advised them on actually a cross-border acquisition where we helped them buy something. And now we're uh, in process of helping them actually do a majority recap and full monetization. And over that period, we've become uh, a part of their business, right? Not just the guys over here that did one transaction for us. And I think that's consistent with most of our relationships, very, very trusted relationships and become a part of their business and their strategic plan, their board conversation, uh, if you will. Uh, we also quite frequently during deals um, and even before deals, uh, we may maintain good relationships and contacts with our clients and ex-clients. And we'll actually, you know, to your point, if there's an issue that's operational or how do I tell my people about this? Or, but by the way, can I talk to three of your folks that had to notify their people, right? How did that go? We, we maintain that, uh, that dialogue closely and often put them directly in contact with our clients or prospects to help them. Because it's one thing for an investment banker to blabber to them about how they've seen a hundred go. It's another thing to allow them to talk to three or four or five other owners who have been through it themselves and give them some peace about it and some tribal knowledge about it. So we're big believers in relationship and experience. Um, and I think the other way we do that is, I think you see a lot of investment banks that they might carry the same business cards, but they're really pods of people, right? Whether it's a sector group or a product group, et cetera. Collaboration is something is quite frankly a reason that people join. And so when you hire our firm, we're big believers that, yeah, you might have a deal team of three or four or five bankers, but you're really getting the full firm, right? And so we're having standard, actually twice a week calls, reviewing all the deals. Hey, even though I'm not the MD on that deal, I've got an experience or a contact. How do I help you on this deal? And most importantly, that's driven by how do we help our clients win and achieve the best outcomes they can? And it's not a whose deal is it conversation. It's a how do we collectively as 20 some people with, to your point, a couple hundred deals and all these relationships help our clients win. And we don't keep score of whose deal that is. It's, it's one team and one client. And if it's good for one client, it's good for everybody at the firm. And we think that we, we press that really hard because we, it's definitely something that we didn't see on Wall Street, the collaboration, right? Everybody's worried about their P&L for the year and then it's on to the next year. And I think that's at the detriment of clients, to your point, and companies. And uh, more collaboration and uh, more experience around the table is good. Good for clients and we really push it. 
I'd like to talk about your deal process in just a moment, but if you're watching or listening to this episode of The Deal Flow Show, you can go to our website, thedealflowshow.com, and get access to our archives, all of our past episodes, as well as subscribe and follow us and get access to future episodes. And by the way, while you're there, if you think you know of a great guest for the show, you can recommend a guest to us there on the website. So uh, what I'd like to do is come back, um, Matt, and ask when... Your, it's kind of a two-part question. Number one, when you're going into a brand new deal, th folks that you haven't worked with before, do you have kind of a toolbox or a process that you go through? And uh, I'm curious as to how much of that developed early on by modeling and seeing how other folks did deals when you came into the business and how much of that has come about over your 11-year entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, great, great question. And I think the, the reality is, is it's, it's ongoing, continuous improvement and excellence as to process and what works and what helps people. Um, and so obviously learned a lot, right, in doing 40-some billion dollars of transactions and seeing a lot of deals. But I would say our process has only improved from there and very, very intentionally. And so every deal, every rep is better, right? And we'd say, hey, this worked really well. Let's share that with the team. Let's make sure that that's in our process. The client really appreciated that. And really a lot of it is driven by the client. We're big believers in exit interviews for our clients, right? And seeking feedback on what you wish was better, what went well, et cetera. Um, that's something that I didn't see early in my career. And quite frankly, I think a lot of uh, bankers probably have big egos and don't wanna hear about what didn't go well. But we think it's really important. Um, our clients are why we get up in the morning, to make differences for real companies uh, in the middle market. And so we think it's important to ask them, you know, hey, these five things were awesome. I love you guys, right? But I really wish the attorney process went different. Or I wish that somebody would have given me a list and said, hey, when you go announce the sale or the recap to your team, here are some things to say and not say, right? And so certainly over the last 11 years, that's really developed. And we've incorporated a lot of those things from exit interviews and best practices from deals. We think that's important. And I have no doubt over the next 10 years that will only continue, right? One of our core values we talk about is continuous improvement and continuous excellence. And so we're never satisfied that, hey, our process is perfect because it's not, and it can always get better. And if we learn something on one of the 20 deals we're doing right now that would be good across the other 19, we're gonna implement it like that because uh, if it's good for our clients, it's good for process, uh, and we want to we want to do uh, we want to we want to operate with excellence and serve people to the best of our abilities. And so it continues to grow. It continues to morph. It's a living, breathing thing. I would say about our process, the most important thing to get right is upfront to really drill into what are the goals, what are the priorities, what are the needs, wants of these private companies, which sometimes is really hard to pry out. Right? These are uncomfortable conversations about desires for liquidity, et cetera, that maybe they're used to kind of towing the company line and, and incenting their people and rallying the troops. Um, but it's really important to get right and to know what they want to accomplish. And sometimes that's, that seems like an easy thing, but it might be a couple conversations. We start every kind of organizational meeting with, even though we talk about it a lot during pitches, with a goals and priorities page. Let's talk through the nitty gritty of how deals go. Let's talk about what type of deal, what type of structure you want to accomplish. And more importantly, qualitatively, what do you want this deal to accomplish for you, your family, and your company? And that's, that's very soft, 
but it's, it's probably the most important page in the book, right? Anybody can put together a Gantt chart on a timeline or a funder list, but those, you know, if those things aren't oriented towards what the client wants in the first place, that's, you know, it's a fool's errand, right? And so very hyper-focused on what companies want, not on what we bring to the table, right? We can bring those options to bear. And as I mentioned, that's why the biggest differentiator probably is the true full-service offering across the capital structure, because we're not beholden to any, you know, we don't want the answer to be C, right? Quite frankly, we don't care. We compare the capital markets to what those goals and priorities and wants and needs are. And, and we think that's, we experience it. That's different in the capital markets, particularly at this end of the market. And uh, there's a real need for it, which is why we founded the firm. So what you're saying is you ask your clients what they want and you try to build something that solves their real problems in a way that they'd like it solved. That's, that's novel. <laughs> no, but it's, think about that. How many businesses out there try to make everybody fit inside right. of a box? Right. And, and then they wonder why they're not growing and doing well. I did have a question. I know you've got a question, but I, I did have a question. In that 11 years that y'all have been growing from your wife, you and your wife starting in the garage, um, what, uh, what was the trajectory to 20-ish bankers and 25-ish people? Was it like this and then it's really grown over the last few years or has it just been steady or? It's been fairly steady. It's been, uh, you know, have a good year, hire a couple more good people. Um, it's like anything, I think, in building a business. The first one's the hardest and the reps get easier, right? As you build credibility and a track record and people want to join your team and, you know, now when we go to interview MDs, we're running a process. We just brought on two MDs and a director and we hired, you know, we interviewed a bunch of JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Citigroup type folks. We weren't interviewing those people five years ago, right? We were kind of begging people that maybe were non-traditional to join the team. And so certainly I think just by a nature of law of small numbers, uh, maybe the growth was more five years ago, but we're adding incremental, incrementally more bodies, I would say per year now um and but it's been pretty i would say five years ago we were 10 people right so we've doubled kind of in that time period maybe a little bit more we've had years where we've doubled and last year we added three or four people so maybe that was 20 percent growth so it's been pretty steady we've grown every year um, for us it's really about finding the right people and people that we need to do better work and that you know the people business is lumpy it's not an objective of hey let's hire five people this year you know, if we find find five of the perfect people, we'll hire them. And if we five zero, find zero, we won't hire any, right? We can't compromise on that. Um, but it has been it has been steady growth, although law of small numbers has been choppy. Nice. Matt, uh, what are some of the deal breakers for you when you're taking on a client? You spoke of a few before, but to give us a little example of what some of the red flags or deal breakers are for you. Uh, I, the biggest thing for us is integrity. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about are they good people, right? Do we want to get up and work for them? And are they, you know, a big part of that is what are they going to do with the capital we bring to bear, right? Is there going to be a positive impact, et cetera? Um, integrity for us is a non-negotiable. And so while uh, our clients often reference check, we do the same thing, right? We're not Deutsche Bank anymore. We're not doing a couple hundred transactions a year. We're doing, you know, 10 to 25 transactions a year. And, you know, if we're going to work thousands of hours for somebody, we want to work for good people that we can really help. Uh, and the second part of that is people that will, will take advice, um, that there is trust, right? The trusted advisor uh, role, quite frankly, is everything to us. The economics are kind of the outcome. And so uh, if they're good people that trust us and we trust them, 
and will take advice and that we can really help. To us, that's the most important thing. Um, I think we also are very intellectually honest and think everyone should be about, are we the best people to help somebody? And often it might not be because there's not a deal there, but we might not be best suited for it. And I think become as you grow, right, becoming more disciplined about saying no when you're not right or perfect for somebody and convict, convicted that you're the right advisor for them is really important. I think there in investment banking, there's kind of always the draw to, well, more deals are better, right? And I don't think that's necessarily the case. We want to work on the right deals where we can really make a difference, move the needle for people, and all be high-fiving at the closing table saying, hey, this was a great transaction for everybody involved. Uh, that's really what we're what we get up in the morning to do and want to work for good people that trust us that we can, you know, uh, really move the needle for. Those are, those are the most important things, the soft things. To that point as well, uh, you said working with the right people. Is there any industries or areas that, that you, you guys as a company stay away from? There are five, we have five focus sectors. Um, so maybe I'll start there because it's more about what we do do than what we don't do. Uh, industrials and transportation. I was a vehicular transportation banker most of my career. Uh, Lee Merritt is our managing director who leads up that practice. Really good relationships, great track record of capital raising and M&A work across the spectrum there. Uh, Gary Grote is a managing director who leads our healthcare investment banking practice and a de dedicated team under uh, him. Um, within the industrials vertical, Mike Anderson's uh, our lead on the manufacturing side. Brian Wallace is our lead on the industrial services side. So broadly speaking, industrials and transportation one, healthcare two, uh, business and IT services, Chad Gardner. Uh, is leads uh, that practice. We've we've hired three senior folks in that vertical uh, recently, um, and then consumer uh, would be fourth. Uh, Brian Brian Walsh uh, spends most of his time there, and then Nick Orr's a managing director. We brought on in our Denver office, in and as our TMT lead. Um, so those would be our five sectors, uh, and with all within all those, uh, we do uh, M and A and capital raising work and leverage finance work. Um, and I, we also do, related to that, do a fair amount of specialty finance work. So raising, raising capital for other funders, lenders, et cetera, kind of falls within uh, all of those buckets. So those would be our five sectors. Uh, we traditionally have not done any oil and gas, have not done a lot of project finance uh, type work, although we've got a couple great stories around those sectors recently there. Um, but if it's, it's, if it's niche or, you know, sector really matters and it's not one of those sectors, particularly on the M&A side, maybe strategic connectivity, we'll be the first to say, hey, it's not right for us. Here's some friends of ours who spend all their time in that space. You know, that's who you need to talk, talk to. We call it the dad factor. So if it was your dad's company or you were on your dad's board, what's the advice you'd give him? And firm-wide, that better be the advice that all of our people are giving, right? In other words, are you giving the right advice? Or are you giving the fee advice? And we, we demand firm-wide that we give the right advice, the dad factor advice, if you will, and think that's really important. And unfortunately, to your point, simple, but different. So you're in the Midwest, uh, but what, what is uh, something, we ask some of our guests this question, we forget sometimes. Yeah. What is something about you, Matt, that uh, people professionally would normally know about you? Probably the only investment bank founded on a gravel road outside of a town of 300 people that not only doesn't have any stoplights, but doesn't have a paved main street. That would be something. So Malcolm, Nebraska is my hometown. 
Uh, I go by the 2000 census because it's in my favor on the small town argument, but 372 people. And uh, when we play the small town game, which we like to do a lot internally, uh, people always usually talk about how many stoplights do you have? Well, not only do we not have any stoplights, we also don't have a paved main street. It's gravel. So that usually uh, wins a small town game. Fair enough. Uh, as folks listen to this show, uh, what sort of people would you like to hear from and what's the best way for them to connect with you? Absolutely. Thanks for the question. Uh, obviously, company owners who might be thinking through growth, access to capital, liquidity, buying something, just what their options are, quite frankly. We love to educate and bring options to bear and make sure people know. Uh, obviously, other advisors or capital providers, right, who might have transactions that we could help on or help one another on or refer uh, transactions to uh, or help people together. And so those would be those would be the groups. The easiest way to get in contact with us or learn more about us uh, would be our website. Our website is www.bridgepointib.com. IB is in investment banking, bridgepointib.com. And all of our contact information is there as well as kind of actually some pretty helpful literature on education as well on the capital markets and the various uh, sectors that we work in. Fantastic. Matt Pluster, Bridgepoint Investment Banking. Great to have you on the show all the way from Nebraska and uh, the metropolis that you live in. You, you said there's no stoplights. There's, is it a, is a stop sign? Is it a yield? <laughs> oh, yeah. We've got, we've got a couple stop signs. They might have, they might have uh, BBs in them, but we've got a couple stop signs. <laughs> so funny story. My wife is from a little bitty town in, in uh, northwest Louisiana, and you get there by way of Marshall, Texas. The first time I went to see her at her house, because we had met in another city, first time I went to see her, she's telling me, you get on this highway, you're going down this highway, when you come to the, st the flashing red light, you turn right, okay? So I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving, I end up in some other town. Come to find out from her direction, it's a, flash, it's a flashing red light. From the direction I was yellow? coming, it's flashing yellow. yellow, yellow. Yes, so that. that's what you call country directions right there. Amen. But uh, good to have you on the show, Matt. Hope we can get together again soon. Uh, we've got an event coming up in the third quarter, early fourth quarter next year called the Deal Flow Expo. And love to have you participate in that and be a part of that. And maybe bring some of the comp companies that you're working with and some of your team to the event so that we can meet y'all in person. On behalf of Mr. Paul Nicolini, myself, J.P. Maroney, the Harbor City team, the Deal Flow Show team, you are listening to the Deal Flow Show. You can get access to our previous episodes. Subscribe and follow us. You can get access to us on nearly every audio and video platform out there, podcasting, by going to thedealflowshow.com. If you think you know of a good guest or you think you might be a good guest, you can make that recommendation on the website as well. Matt, good to have you on. Paul, we'll talk to you guys you again Thanks, very, Matt. very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. For more episodes, visit thedealflowshow.com and subscribe.